Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. This is part two with Joel Grote. Joel Grote and I have been podcast co-hosts now for almost four years. Yeah, wow. And unfortunately, Joel is moving on. But, you know, God always does his thing and... Um, and he has other plans in mind for your life. So welcome back, Joel. Tell us about your years of ministry with Mormons and um, what advice you might have to somebody who's trying to witness to a Mormon. Sure. Thank you, co-host Lynn Wilder. By the way, that's Lynn Wilder who was doing the <laughs> announcement. Um, so if there's any one thing that I've learned, not just from my experience, but watching other people, it's Sometimes knowledge can get in the way. In and by that I mean there's been times I've talked to somebody who said, Oh man, you know, I've got this coworker who is LDS, or I've got a neighbor who's a Jehovah's Witness. And I really feel like burdened. I just want to reach out to them. You know, I care about them. I'm not sure where to start. And in our ministry, one of the things we've done through our website, like you've done through yours, is to provide, try to provide tools to people that help them give them insight into the culture, the background, some of the key doctrinal things. So I've talked to people and kind of given them that general and said, well, you know, here's the most important thing you could do. Be real, be authentic, be yourself, and let your love motivate you and carry you into the conversation. And I've had those same people come back two or three weeks, maybe a month later, and they'll come back and say, oh, Joel, it was so cool. It's like we were talking and I asked them this question that came to mind. And it sparked like this whole conversation. And I was like, where did you come up with that question? That is such a good question. That's not anything we've ever had in our information. So I don't know, as I was talking, it was just there. And because they were open to the Holy Spirit, because they were caring and loving toward this person, they just kind of went with what the Holy Spirit brought to mind. And some of the most effective conversations I've heard that people have had with people have been with people who knew very little about the religion. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't study and know, because with almost every performance-based religion, there is this element of this culture of deception where people are allowed to either downplay or deny or misrepresent certain aspects of their faith or their history or their doctrine to make sure the religion still looks good to people they're talking to it about. And so to protect against some of that what I call culture of deception. Um, and most people justify it because they think they're in the only right religion. And so to get somebody else in, whatever it takes to get them in is okay because once they're in, they'll understand. And so they so it's not like they feel badly about maybe denying a particular aspect of their faith or denying a point of history. And sometimes they just don't know it themselves. Um, it helps, it does help to have some knowledge just so somebody can't like totally deny what's a key component that would be an important talking point. So I, so the first thing is just your heart. Um, where's your heart at? Is, you, is your heart motivated by compassion? Is your heart broken? Does your heart want the best for this person? In other words, is it more about the person and not about you? Because that's where I can tend to go, where I'm in a conversation, I'm getting some pushback, or somebody, you know, a Mormon Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, somebody will say something that I know because of my 30 years experience simply isn't true, either historically or doctrinally. 
And at that moment, I have to fight back the urge to simply, you know, say, well, you just lied to me. Don't you realize that, you know, here, and not that you don't address it, but if it becomes, oh, wait a second, um, I've caught you in a lie and I'm going to show how smart I am and I'm going to show how much I know about your religion. Man, as soon as that, what I call a heart of war, we're always operating out of either a heart of war or a heart of peace. And, and Jesus calls us to have a heart of peace, to live at peace as much as possible with all men, to come with gentleness, meekness, respect. That that's, But as soon as that flips, and now what we feel is kind of this heart of war, this desire to win, to prove myself right, to prove you wrong, that's when you start to lose effectiveness. So when I was on Ali Beth Stuckey's podcast recently, I'm trying to explain this about the culture to her. And I explained to her that when I was Mormon, we called this milk before meat, that I would only admit to believing something that I thought you wouldn't think was silly. But if you thought it was silly, <laughs> yes. or you weren't ready to accept it. I wasn't going to go there. So right. a Mormon will either deflect and just not answer or change the subject or sometimes it looks like lying, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Mormon prophet actually did. I think it was Hinckley, right? On um, on TV in the 90s when he said, I don't think we believe such a thing. Well, yes. Yeah, I don't we, know that we teach we, it that we, much. Yeah. 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 But And here's what she said back to me. But we Christians do the same thing. So again, you know, Christians don't want to believe <laughs> that a Mormon would actually not tell them the truth or not tell them everything up front. So let's talk about the milk before meat concept as per Christianity and the milk before meat concept as per Mormonism. They're very different. Yes, because the milk of Christianity is never anything that contradicts the meat. So, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about, hey, when you were babes in Christ, I had to feed you on milk, I had to feed you on the, the, the primary elements. So, you know, who is Christ? What is salvation by grace? Didn't get into a lot of maybe relational details or some of the other. But within Christianity, once the whole idea of knowing what the milk is, is so that you can digest and understand the meat and the meat will never contradict the milk. Um, it's always reinforced and it always all flows and fits in together. Plus, this is for believers once they've come to salvation. It just means that basically there's there's progress in learning what you need to know, right? right. First, the Christian you're just life is learning a little, and then you're you're learning harder things along the road because there's conviction and there's sanctification taking place. The other thing I would say is nothing secret in right. Christianity. Yeah, there are not, there isn't any doctrine that I'm not going to be willing. That's a that's a foundational doctrine, whether it's about the person of Christ and who he is, or the Trinity, or the authority of scripture, or salvation, or who's man in the eyes of God. How yeah, all of that is all up front. And we basically follow Jesus' example because he's being challenged by the Pharisees. And he says, Hey, you know, when did I ever teach in secret? What is there? that I have not openly proclaimed to the world, you know, for what of this are you, you know, what are you going to cast stones? What, what do you have against me? And so Jesus made it very clear that 
No, everything is there. It's available. And that even goes back to the Old Testament. Everything that happened with the temple ceremonies, even though there were certain things that only the high priest did, there were certain places only the high priest went, everybody in the community knew exactly what was going on behind the curtain. Everybody knew exactly what was going on behind whatever level of veil you couldn't get to because it was all explained. It was all part of the culture and religious practice. And when you get into groups that are performance-based, very often there are those things that are kept secret. They're kept hidden, again, from the uninitiated, because like you said, they could be things that for the uninitiated who aren't already conditioned to be accepting the authority and all that, um, it, it would be a deal breaker. They would go, oh, well, if that's happening, that isn't Christian, that isn't biblical. So now you're no longer an option I'm going to consider if I consider myself a Christian. Exactly. So talk to me now a little bit about um, Mormonism currently. So things have changed. What about contemporary Mormonism? And where do you see things going? Um, okay, so I would say the single biggest change in 30 years, well, there's two areas. One is um, how LDS people talk about themselves and their religion in either contrast or counter counterposition, juxtaposition to Christianity. When I started into ministry, Mormons were often very big about saying, well, we're not Christians like you. We're Latter-day Saints. Christianity is, is apostate religion. Mm-hmm. We're part of the only true church. And so, I mean, I remember going back and reading tracts and pamphlets that the LDS Church was publishing where they would say, we're not Christians. Um, not that we don't follow Christ, but we don't want the association with the traditional Christian churches and denominations because we're apart, we're other, we're distinct. Um, so that, because, that's very that's very much changed. Right, because your reformers, you came from the Catholic church and that was an apostate church. And so the Protestants and the reformers are, according to the Mormons, apostate. Correct. But they're restorationists. They took the supposedly the original Church of Christ and restored it in the 1800s. Right. right. So, so that whole way of talking about them versus us, they were willing to make very clear distinctions and lines between the two. Yes. Um, that has radically changed. Now it's all about common ground. It's all about wanting acceptance, wanting to be um, included within the larger body of Christianity, wanted to be, and even though they wouldn't go so far as to say as we're just another denomination, because there's they still make that distinction, there's this thing of, well, actually, we probably have more in common than we have different. And so those mm-hmm. those are different, and those really aren't deal breakers, and they shouldn't be deal breakers for people who come. Well, the whole line, what we want you to do is we want you to take your truth, bring all your truth over to us, and we'll just add to it which would imply there's nothing that you have that as we add to it will contradict it or will um, render it not right. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just add more to it, which is a very appealing thing. Who, who doesn't want to have more added to their faith? Who doesn't want to grow, expand that? And yet when you get into the nitty gritty of Mormonism, you start finding that, well, pretty much every core belief within historic biblical Christianity is contradicted or denied by LDS teaching. So that's that's been another change. The other 
change that I've noticed. Yeah. Before you leave that, I, I want to ask you specifically when you think that change happened. I've been trying, I've been all over the internet trying to figure this out. And I was Mormon when this happened. <laughs> it happened, I would say, in the early 2000s, maybe, when I was at BYU, that all of a sudden we were calling ourselves Christians. Yeah. Um, and part of that was a result of the second area of change, which is how Mormons present themselves at like their temple openings. Because in the early 2000s was when the Mormon church declared they were going to double the number of temples they had available around the world. So starting in about 1998, 1999, they were going to double. They were going to go from, I want to say at the time they had less than 100 temples worldwide, and they were going to go to like 150 in like the span of three years. It was a massive building Whoa. campaign. And what drew our attention as a ministry was realized 37% of those new temples were going to be going up in Latin America. So that was when I was told, dust off your passport. Um, there needs to be representation. And I still remember the very first Mormon temple opening that I attended, Open House. It was in Madrid, Spain. Um, I went with a group of people that had heard about it. Um, they had put together this whole team. Nobody on the team knew Spanish. Nobody on the team had any literature in Spanish. Except and, you. Well, they reached out to us because they said, oh, you've um, got literature in Spanish translated and Joel, you're bilingual. So will you go? And IRR at that point, we really didn't get involved in temple openings. We were about, you know, reaching out specifically to Mormons and direct contact. And Mormon temple open house things had kind of become a confrontational sort where people were out, they would wave signs. Sometimes they would even wear wave Mormon undergarments. I mean, Garments, there's a yeah. lot of really ugly, what I would refer to as non-Christian, at least <laughs> disrespectful, not very loving stuff happening. And so we just kind of said, you know, that's not who we are. If there's other ministries that are called to that. They're welcome to do that. So it was with a little bit of reluctance that we said, okay, so we'll take our literature. And as long as we can kind of run the show, we put together a whole guideline for how we were going to do talking to people at the Mormon Temple Open House. It was going to be respectful. There was going to be no yelling, no arguing. And the impact was huge. We had people um, that were coming to visit the Mormon Temple. They were thanking us because actually our literature was um, nicer. It was glossier. It looked even better than what the Mormons were handing out. And we had a full page spread on the differences between the biblical temple and the Mormon temple, all very factual, all documented. And we had Catholic priests, we had nuns, we had teenagers coming by and saying, thank you so much for being here. There was so much we didn't know. We had so many questions about mm, what this Mormon yeah. religion is all about. And here, right. you know, you're just helping us with this information, which is what we were there to do. And there was such a positive public response to it. We said, okay, we need, to, we need to do this every opportunity we can. And so for like the next six months to a year, I spent almost as much time out of the United States as I did in. But here's what was interesting, how the LDS church handled what they were presenting and what they were saying at these temple open houses began to morph and to change. At first, there was very little information. You got a little pamphlet. The whole idea was come see the temple, get interested, and then sign up to have a missionary visit. So when we started showing up with like considerable amounts of information, we had our Is Mormonism Christian track, which contrasted 10 points of doctrine. We had our Mormon temples Christian track, which contrasted biblical temples with LDS temples. Um, we had a track on the first vision and a track on the Book of Mormon. 
as we were there and those started to become a part of the exchange and interviews on media, um, the Mormon church started to need to start saying more and they started emphasizing any Christian connection they could make. So one of the first changes that I noticed was the emphasis on their baptismal font. Because every Mormon temple has a baptismal font. They've even showed pictures of it. This isn't new information. Um, and that baptismal font is mounted on the on the back of 12 oxen. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's modeled after the Old Testament font, which wasn't even in the temple. But they started pointing to that and saying, see, our temples are a continuation of Old Testament temple. We are the only ones who have this. So all the other Christian churches in your neighborhood, they may have some truth, but we're the only ones that have this temple that actually harkens back to Old Testament times. And so there was this very deliberate, intentional to, to start making um, connections to Christianity overtly so that as Christians came, they would feel comfortable and they would be drawn into wanting to know more about the LDS religion. And that happened about 20 years ago or so. Yeah, so this was um, 20, especially 2000 through 2004, 2005 was the single biggest push. And then it's obviously continued to expand since then. Yeah, and I think part of the reason it continued to expand uh, was that Romney ran for president, right? And yes. evangelicals were going to have a hard time possibly voting for him if if they believed, if they knew some of the weird stuff that he believed, right? right. But he never admitted in public. No, in fact, he he did some of the same whole cultural, you know, lying for the Lord, meet for the meat before milk thing. Because there was a uh, on the Charlie Rose show, there was a woman that was interviewing him, but she actually had done some homework, and she said, "So there are some things that are different between your LDS faith and Christian religions that some people might find a little bit jarring." And so the two points she brought up were um, that Jesus retur would return to Missouri, that the Garden of Eden, and that. You know, Zion was in Missouri and Jesus Christ would return there. And the other was, um, I think, God having become a man. And what's interesting was she brought up both those points and the way she stated them was totally accurate. And Romney's response was, well, you haven't exactly got that right, but I'm not going to deal with that. You could talk to our prophet about that. If you want to know what's really strange about our religion, it's that we believe that there was a man called by God to build a boat and to put two of every kind of animal and to save the world when there was this flood. So if you want something that's, you know, kind of odd, and it was like, wait, he's using the Noah story as something like unique. So it was a yeah. whole- Uniquely LDS. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So Romney- deflection. Yeah. So that, def yeah. that definitely, but here's the other thing that started happening with that Romney campaign. That also started exposing- Mormons to some of the unknown stuff historically and doctrinally because, because Romney was a Republican president and the media was, you know, pretty much more liberal. They kind of took off the gloves when it came to Romney. And whereas in the past, the, the media had almost always treated the LDS church with kid gloves. So they would talk about the missionary system and these young, idealistic kids going out all over the world as volunteers. And the um, they talk about the food service and you know all the Mormon community stuff when there were hurricanes and disasters. So it was very seldom was earning negative PR. But when Romney showed up now as a Republican candidate, 
the more liberal media said, okay, we're going after the stuff that makes Mormonism look bad. And so then they started bringing out things. So things like Joseph Smith using uh, Peepstone in his hat to translate the Book of Mormon, or the whole gods and multiple worlds and multiple planets, polygamy. I mean, all of a sudden, all this stuff became fair game. And now it was showing up in the media by recognized media sources that were documenting it with LDS scholars even. And no longer could Mormon bishops and Mormon leaders say, well, that's just anti-Mormon half-truths. That's just rhetoric designed to make us look bad because now some of their own scholars were being cited and LDS people were having to face things that they'd been told for a long time weren't really true that they didn't have to worry about be bothered with. And I think and it was- from that year on, there's been quite an exit from Mormonism. There has been. In the been. last 10 years, there has been quite an exit. Yeah. So we're down to our last few minutes. Talk to me about the danger of only Christians and Mormons talking about the similarities. Okay. Right? Well, because that's their approach now, right? Right. Yes, we're the Mormon like church. You, and the ways we're not like you don't matter. Right. And unfortunately, for all the LDS church has done to soften their teaching, at the end of the day, they've really changed nothing. Their manuals and what they're teaching about who God is, that he was once a man like us, that he progressed to godhood, that there's multiple gods, that hasn't been refuted. That has not been denied. That hasn't been taken out. That's still there. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the firstborn son of God with one of his goddess wives. Um, Lucifer is also one of those sons who is born to God and a goddess wife. They're brothers in the pre-existence. And when God decides it's time to kind of repeat the process of a savior so people on earth can become gods, he wants to send Jesus to be the atonement and Lucifer steps in and he also wants to be savior. And there's this competition between brothers. Um, and so- And so, the council of the gods decides, right? right? And so, so those sorts of things, those have not been repudiated. And, and even all the way down to grace. Is Jesus enough? So if you only have faith in Christ, if you let Jesus forgive you of your sins, is that enough to guarantee you eternal life in the presence of heavenly father? If you don't do anything more than believe in Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, accept his death as something that covers those sins, takes away your sin, gives you his perfect righteousness, and that's what brings you into right relationship with God. And that's all you need Whereas LDS teaching is still, well, no, actually, if you want the highest level, if you want the most that Mormonism has to offer, then you have to, one, you have to join our church. You have to follow our steps in terms of baptism and being sealed by the Holy Spirit, by somebody with authority. You have to follow our authority. You have to be temple worthy, which means you have to be giving 10% to the church. So all of this, and, and that's all still part of it. As long as the Mormon church continues to build temples and demand that their membership attend those temples to achieve the highest level of celestial kingdom, that now causes a person to reject Jesus as enough in and of himself. So it doesn't mean they reject Jesus totally. They accept Jesus, but he's just part of the process that you need. He's not enough. And Jesus said, no, 
I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The New Testament repeatedly talks about this organic relationship with Jesus, being in Jesus as what we need. And so until the LDS church renounces the need for temples, um, then they will continue to offer broken to fix broken. They will continue to offer a system of works that nobody can live up to as a way of self-improvement. And it's always destined to fail because none of us can pull it off on our own. We have Allie to trust Beth, that Jesus pulled it off for us. I just finished Ali Stuckey's book and her book is called You Aren't Enough and That's Okay. The whole idea. <laughs> that's great, yes. Right? So our ministry motto is Jesus is enough. I tweeted it out one time. The Mormon church tweeted right back to me. You are enough, right? There you go. Performance-based religion. You have to do it. You are enough. Her book says you are not enough and it's okay because Jesus is. And that's the whole bottom line here. Right. And so what we do is we seek to share that as truth, again, out of compassion and concern. And we trust that the Holy Spirit is the only one who's going to change a life. So it's not up to us to convince the person. It's not the force of our words. It's not the effectiveness of our anecdotes or our analogies. At the end of the day, we're sharing truth and we're inviting LDS people to be in relationship with us so that they can experience the true love and authenticity and acceptance that Jesus wants to extend to them. But I think so often we don't invite Mormons into that. We're just as conditional in our acceptance of LDS people as people, not as brothers in Christ, because that's a different thing. Um, and so basically we're saying, unless you accept my arguments, unless you come over to my point of view, then I'm always going to like hold you at arm's length to a certain degree. Um, and Jesus, when he encountered people, he was like, no, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. Let me give you rest. Learn from me that I'm gentle, I'm humble of heart. And that's the same invitation Jesus extends to every person, every Mormon. No, just, just come experience me. Come experience what true rest, true grace, true love, true acceptance is in me. And once you've done that, the Holy Spirit will clear up anything within your other religious system that needs to go um, that, that doesn't mash up with that. So, yeah. Thank you, Joel, for those words of wisdom. We're at the end again today, and that's a perfect way to end because really it's all said in what early Christians often said to each other, grace and peace to you, brother in Christ. Until next time, Lynn, so long.